0: The Nehemiah Project is a nonprofit that replaces hopelessness with hope through biblical counseling in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you are blessed, encouraged, and equipped through our podcast, please consider leaving us a review and giving towards the continuation of our ministry at tnproject.org/donate. And now, enjoy the next episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Mike Linstead. I am the executive director and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and I am here with my ministry partner, Pastor Chad Wiles, who is the director of education and counseling at the Nehemiah Project. Chad, how are you doing today, bud?
0: Good. Good. It's a nice day outside, and here we go.
1: It is. We always talk about the weather, (laughs) and the podcast comes out the week uh, next week, you know, the week later, the week after. And so (laughs) I was listening to our podcast on Tuesday and we said, yeah, it's freezing outside. But it was actually really hot that day when it came out. Yeah. So I was wondering if people listening knew. <laughs> One week delayed. But um, today is a
0: nice day, Chad. It's like a timestamp. Yes. You, can, you can know what it was like when we were recording.
1: <laughs> well, today we're going to be talking about a very important topic. And it has to do with um, really our identity as Christians and how we are to respond to evil. Um, Mm -hmm. whether that evil is just being perpetrated in society through government or if that evil is something that is being done to us by an individual Mm -hmm. in the public square or even an individual in our own family. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about those three spheres, if you will, um, uh, and how we as the church are to operate in those different spheres, Mm -hmm. how we are to arrange ourselves under the God-ordained levels of authority, and how we are to not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with love. Mm-hmm. And what does that really mean and look like in those different spheres? Yeah. And so um, we're going to be looking at Romans 12, um, kind of all over the place in Romans 12, but specifically we're going to we're going to teach through 17 uh, verses 17 through 21 in Romans 12, and then flow into that famous passage on the government in Romans 13. And we're also just going to be discussing from uh, different places in the Bible um, the principles that we learn from this section and how to apply those principles in your family life and in the public square. So um, a very comprehensive topic today, Mm -hmm. Chad. But do you have anything to say before we get into it?
0: Um, What I would say is I think this is a very um, relevant topic to the day because of the things that we face in our government, but also just from a counseling perspective – I mean, no one comes to me because things are going well, but a lot of the time there is someone who's been hurt by someone in their family, maybe a spouse, maybe an abusive spouse. Maybe they've been sinned against as a child, maybe even uh, physical or sexual abuse as a child. Um, And then the things that we see in our government, and it's very confusing for people to say, okay, I know I'm supposed to suffer well. I know I'm supposed to... Uh, respond with love am I supposed to let people get away with it am I supposed to just stay here and take it am I supposed to um, stay silent Uh, it's a big question within the church and a lot of well-meaning Christians trying to wrestle that out Mm -hmm. uh, because of what the word says and so our hope today is to bring some clarity to what that means to respond with love yeah Um, what does that mean to live peaceably with all what does that mean to not avenge yourself does that mean not to do anything um, we'll see.
1: Yeah, yeah, we shall see indeed. Well, I'm going to read from the beginning of chapter 12, and um, I'm actually going to read the entire chapter, and then I'll read, I might read all the way to 1310, it's <laughs> such a comprehensive section, and yeah. there's so much in it. But let's begin at chapter 12, verse 1. "'Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercy of God, "'to present your bodies as a sacrifice.'" ...living holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to each one of you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking, as God has allotted to each measure of faith... For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. But having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy in agreement with the faith or service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy by abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good, being devoted to one another in brotherly love and giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope and persevering in affliction, being devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, pursuing hospitality. Bless those who bless you Sorry, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep by being of the same mind toward one another, not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble. Do not be wise in your own mind, never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men, and if possible, so as far as it depends upon you, being at peace with all men, never... Never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'll stop there for just a moment. Now, what we see in that chapter, really there are two spheres Um, with one focus. The focus is the church living in a way that is worship filled, right? That's what Paul says in verse one. He exhorts the brothers by the mercies of God because of what has just been taught in chapters one through 11 to then present their bodies as a sacrifice, Mm -hmm. to to literally sacrifice themselves on the altar of God. And by doing so, live in a way that is identified as one that is of worship. And so then he goes on to talk about how that life of worship is lived out in one sphere. That sphere is the sphere of special grace. That is the sphere as of the church, the church gathered in particular. I mean, look at verse 5 just for a moment. It says, we are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. And all of the pronouns that are in that section are we, right? They're, they are plural pronouns. He's talking about one anothering. That's all he's talking about. So verses 1 through 13 in particular are talking about the church gathered mm-hmm. and how they are to act amongst one another. And, and really this is the, the principle, uh, the ethical command being fleshed out of loving God and loving your neighbor within the gathering of the church. Right. Right. This is what it looks like practically. And he makes a pretty hard shift, although it's, it's quite easy to not see it. Mm -hmm. If you look at verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And as I was thinking about this passage of scripture, Chad, Mm -hmm. I thought Christians don't typically persecute one another. Um, if you look down the annals of history, church history, you have seen that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, I'm thinking of you know the Pado Baptists and the Anabaptists back during the Reformation period, and how a guy like Zwingli uh, was literally like persecuting the Anabaptists and he would kill them. Yeah, but that's not common, right? That's certainly not um, how we are to act towards one another. So, so it, yes, it could apply to those within the church, but more likely it applies to those outside of the church being gathered because he begins to make this shift in verse 17 in particular he says never paying back evil for evil to anyone respecting what is good in the sight of all men mm-hmm. so now he's he's no longer talking about one anothering yeah he's moving outside the walls of the church he's he's looking at the church as they begin to scatter into their weekly routine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now he's talking about how to love god and love neighbor as the church is apart from one another. Yeah. You see? And so that's really where this thing begins to to proliferate out, if you will. And um we're gonna we're gonna exposit verses 17 through 21. But before I get there, Chad, mm-hmm. do you have anything to, to add on on what I've just said about the church being gathered in the sphere of, of special grace?
0: Yeah, as you said, it, it's not supposed to be that inside the church that persecution happens. Yeah. But that is also what we're talking about today. What do you do if you have a a pastor who's abusing authority? Mm -hmm. What do you do if a brother or sister in Christ is stealing from you? What do you do um, in those regards? And there are things that the scriptures do give us to do. But as Mike is saying, the motivating factor is worship to God and love for your brother. Yeah. The motivating factor is not vengeance. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. Vengeance is getting justice, repaying evil for evil. Yeah. That is left to the Lord only. Cuz only God can do that righteously. Only God knows has the character to to um dole out justice mm-hmm. in a righteous manner. We're we're sinful. No matter how right you think you are, we have sin in our flesh and we're going to make sinful Choices along that way. If we go down that path, yeah, yeah. And so, what Paul is trying to say here is, that's just not your sphere to to dole out. It's not yeah. your sphere to to worry about. It doesn't say that the that there's not things for us to do in terms of church discipline and other things we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. But just to reiterate what Mike's saying is, our job is to worship the Lord, and whatever we do should be with. The idea of love and hopes, even for those that would sin against us within the body, that it would lead to their salvation and lead to their repentance.
1: Yes, yes. And so let's exposit then verse 17 through 21, because really this is where the, the, the main principle that we're going to be applying in different spheres of our lives today is going to be found. And it says, uh, "...never paying back evil for evil to anyone." respecting what is good in the sight of all men, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, never taking your own revenge, beloved. And I'm going to stop right there because really that's the first section that we need to look at. Mm -hmm. As the church goes out into their daily lives, as they go from being gathered to scattered, Mm -hmm. from the sphere of special grace to common grace, that is all underneath God, as we're going to see in chapter 13, There's a few imperatives that Paul gives in that section that I just read, verse 17 through 19a. Mm -hmm. And they're really stated negatively and positively. First, he says it in the negative. Never. Okay, that's absolute, right? Never Mm -hmm. means always, (laughs) continually. Do not. Right? Categorically, you're in this category. You don't get Mm -hmm. out of it, right? right?
0: Under no circumstances.
1: Under no circumstances are you to ever, what? He says, pay back evil for evil to anyone. Mm -hmm. Totally absolute, statement. Under no circumstances are you ever to pay back evil for evil. Why? Well, because you've been redeemed by the love of God. And now the love of Christ has been poured out within your hearts. This is what Paul said in Romans 5. It's been poured out through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You are the, a reflection of mm-hmm. God's love. Mm-hmm. So you don't ever conquer evil with evil. No, you conquer love with love. I'm sorry, you conquer evil with love. And so that's the first negative imperative. And then he also, he says in verse 19a, he says, never, again, taking your own revenge. Mm -hmm. So those are the two imperatives stated negatively. Never pay back evil for evil and never take your own revenge. And there's three imperatives positively. Going back to verse 17, he says, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. And that's contrasted with never paying back evil for evil to anyone. Respecting what is good can be translated doing what is honorable in the sight of all men. I believe that's how the ESV has it. I'm reading from the LSB. Mm-hmm. Doing what is honorable. And the word actually there is a word that is, um, it, it means to, to think about beforehand. Uh, literally, it's a compound word. Um, which means to think or plan beforehand, showing necessary forethought to act properly in God's will. So this is very insightful because as a Christian, you need to understand the world hates our master. The Mm. world hates Jesus Christ. He said that on the night of his betrayal, I believe in John chapter 16. And he said, if the world hates me, it's gonna hate you, right? 2 Timothy chapter three tells us that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It mm-hmm. is promised to us if we are living, truly living as a Christian, not a cultural Christian, but, a, but an actual Christian, mm-hmm. um, we, are, we are guaranteed some measure of persecution. And so we need to give necessary forethought on how to do what is honorable on the side of all people in that particular circumstance in mm-hmm. the public square,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? If uh, your kids are going to school, for instance, and they're saved kids, right? Mm-hmm. The second they stand up for God being the creator of the universe, mm-hmm. the biblical God, they will immediately be persecuted for that. Yeah. Sit down and shut up, essentially is what they're gonna hear. That's that is not right. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I may be over exaggerating,
0: possibly. Uh, I was gonna say I don't right? think
1: so. Depends on what school they're going to. Right. But you see, when we, when we take a stand for the truth in the public square, mm-hmm. which is what he's talking about now, the church is no longer gathered. They're going outside the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to give necessary forethought to what is honorable or what is good. And remember, God defines good for yeah. us. It's, yeah. That's an absolute term as well. That's not relative or subjective. He defines good by his law, right? Right. So that's the first positive imperative. And then he says, being at peace... And also leave room for the Lord's wrath. He says all of that in verse 17 through 19a. Being at peace with all men is um, conditioned by what? Well, that's at the beginning of 18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, right? Mm-hmm. We need to uh, do what Romans twelve nine says, and let love be without hypocrisy. We need to execute what the Bible teaches in terms of Christian ethics, which is to love our neighbor, Right? This could be said in a lot of different ways, right? Um, but just for the sake of time, being at peace with all men um, doesn't mean, okay, doesn't mean live in a relativistic bubble. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. The idea of peace in the Bible is actually quite combative when you start to look at it. it, it it's tied in the Old Testament to Yahweh himself, for he says Yahweh is peace. I believe that's in the book of Judges. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about God's peace, um, that that peace has an enemy. It's the yeah. darkness of the kingdom of darkness, yeah. right? The, the, the sons of disobedience hate God, and therefore they're at war with him. There's no peace. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, those who are not at peace with God likely will not be at true peace with those who are of God. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we, this is what Paul's saying, shouldn't make every effort to be at peace with them. That's right. So let's just think of maybe one or two applications, Chad, of this.
0: Well, let's take, um, we went to the school board meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> we were trying to um, really, um, not beg, but what am I trying to say? Implore yeah. the school board totally. to take these pornographic books out of the libraries mm-hmm. that were, that they're against God, they're inappropriate, they're evil, right? Yeah. Now, how we go about that is we showed up peaceably took our turn, set our peace, right? Made it known that we were not okay with these things, but spoke in a peaceful manner. Now, on the contrary, we could have went in and shouting, causing all kinds of ruckus, and not displaying godly character while Mm -hmm. speaking the truth Mm -hmm. in love. The Bible doesn't say, when he's saying live peacefully with all, what you're talking about, it doesn't mean be silent. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean back away from the truth. We know that love actually is truth, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking the truth is loving. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, we're we're trying to display character, godly character, being peaceable in our conversation, even with those who would oppose us. Mm-hmm. There's many who did oppose. And having peaceful conversation, although not backing down from the truth, which really riled up those that were there opposing. Uh, those in the, mm-hmm. the LGBTQ movement were way more hostile <laughs> than we were mm-hmm. and didn't even like talking to us. They got pretty angry when we would even have a conversation. Um, but just to give that example, the way we're to operate is to be peaceful while speaking the truth. And that's still going to bring persecution. It's yeah. still going to bring people getting angry, yelling at you telling you to get out, telling you to stop talking, telling you to yeah. all sorts of things. Right? Absolutely.
1: And I love how you said godly character because that really does sum it up. Like, like I said, there's yeah. a lot of different ways you could describe what it means to be peaceful biblically. But essentially, it means to walk in the spirit, mm-hmm. right? Peace is one attitude yeah. of the fruit of the spirit.
0: And if you want to see this displayed, you just go read the book of Acts, right? You can just look at the, the apostles as they're refusing to stop preaching the gospel yeah. or getting beaten and arrested they're not going back and trying to burn down the government. No. They're taking their licks, and they're praying to the Lord, and when they get out of jail, they go back to the square and yeah. keep preaching the gospel. Or even
1: Stephen in Acts 7, Stephen. right? He said his face was like that of an angel yeah. before the Sanhedrin. He's being
0: stoned. While he's being stoned, he's preaching the truth. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, and he says some pretty direct things there. I yeah. mean, he calls them wicked men, right? Mm. He calls them the murderers of the author of life. I mean, right. he's not mincing words, so mm. being at peace... Again, doesn't mean live in a relativistic bubble, right? Mm. The way God's peace is combative is that it speaks the truth. That's right. And the truth is inherently divisive. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord even said in, in, his, in the gospel according to Luke um, to a crowd in chapter 12, he said, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then he goes on to talk about how families would be divided over right. him, Right. Um, and so, so that's the shalom peace. That's the Hebrew word for, for peace, which the Greek word here Irene, but it's the same idea. Mm. It's the same idea. So when Paul says being at peace with all men, we just need to make sure that that's made clear to our listeners. And I love how he then supports that or, or, or uh, reinforces that idea with the third positive imperative, which is instead of taking your own revenge leave room for the wrath of God. That is the third positive imperative. So we have two negatives and three positives. Never pay back evil for evil. Never take your own revenge. Instead, do what is honorable or respect what is good in the sight of all men and attempt to the uttermost to be at peace with all men. Yeah. Okay, so now, like we've already said, we can expect some opposition at this point, Yeah. right? And so Paul speaks to that. In uh, verse, in verse 19b, he says, leave room for the wrath of God. And then he cites Deuteronomy 32, specifically verses 40 through 41. He's citing the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But if you were to go to Deuteronomy 32, you would get the context because so often in the New Testament, when the writers are quoting the Old Testament, they aren't just quoting verses in isolation. They're citing texts that, bring with them their entire context. Mm-hmm. And so we can't ever just rip it. They don't rip things out of context. When a New Testament author is citing the Old, he is citing not just the verse itself, but also the context in which the verse sits in. And the context of Deuteronomy 32 is really quite astonishing. But the But the principle that Paul is pulling out of that context is this, that God is number one, sovereign, and that as the sovereign king over all the universe, he will take vengeance for those who are attempting to uh, violate his holiness, and that—that that is all people, mm-hmm. and he will vindicate his people who are being oppressed by those who are attempting to violate his holiness. So in other words, he is going to get glory over sinners. Yeah. And in particular, Deuteronomy 32, he... God says, uh, he mentions the false gods of sinners mm-hmm. and how he's going to destroy the false gods. So it is a cosmic religious battle,
0: yeah.
1: right? That's certainly the, the context in which the apostle here cites Deuteronomy 32. And he says, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This, is, um, this is a very powerful citation here. Because again, it's speaking to what you had said earlier, Chad that the church um, is never to feel that they have the right to avenge themselves. Yeah, No human being has that right. Mm-hmm. Vengeance is mine, he says, that he is the owner. It is his to dole out mm-hmm. for the reasons that you stated earlier. Yeah. Um, and so why does Paul say this then? He says this to give us hope in the midst of persecution. Mm-hmm. He says this to give us hope in the midst of evil being done against us. Mm-hmm. He says this to instruct us in righteousness and holiness. Mm-hmm. He says this for our own protection so we don't sin. There's so many reasons why yeah. uh, this can be um, given and why Paul does give it. Paul, Chad, do you have anything to say before I move on to the, um, yeah, the think, last two verses there?
0: I think First Peter gives a little bit of uh, insight to what Paul's saying in Romans. First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, says finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Mm -hmm. Verse 13, Now, who is there to harm if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that, when you are slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Hmm. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's for so good. let me finish this last part. Yeah, go ahead. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely to the water. Um, And he goes on to just talk about the rest of that there. But what Peter is talking about here is that idea of this brotherly love that Paul is talking about as well. And really what's at stake is the Lord's favor and blessing for us, right? He says when he's quoting, um, I forget which uh, chapter of the Bible he's quoting. I think that's Psalm Psalm 34. 34. Yeah, Psalm 34. Yeah. When he says uh, in verse 12 of Psalm 34, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Mm-hmm. As you're talking about, this command is to protect us from our own sin too yeah. in, the, in the process. And also knowing that God will um, repay evil. What we do know, and you have to have a an eternal perspective that those who would sin against you will either have their wrath satisfied by the blood of Jesus because they come to saving faith and, and you given a defense for the hope that is in you as they see that in you while they're sinning against you may bring them to salvation, mm-hmm. which is the same thing that happened for you. We We deserved wrath and yeah. that was cared for yeah. or taken care of on the cross. Or... Even if it seems like they get away with it in this life, they will spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell. Mm -hmm. God will get vengeance on evil. It's not a if or if he's going to do something. It is a when and how situation, right? Which gives us that peace to know that we don't have to repay evil for evil. We don't have to get vengeance for ourselves. All that we have to really think through is how do we remain faithful in the face of suffering? How do we trust Christ in the face of suffering? How do we make the faithful, loving choices to those who would sin against us Mm -hmm. in, in, in very egregious ways even? And that kind of takes us to, we can talk about it a little bit now, Mike, if you want to, but those spheres of authority in the church, in the world, and in the family.
1: Let's pause that for a second. Let's finish this this verse here. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, because because this is the this is the principle. Like we just need to cap it, right? Yeah. He says, "Don't take vengeance at all in any of those spheres of authority, no matter what. Never, right? Avenge yourselves. That is an absolute statement. Yeah. And in verses twenty through twenty-one, Paul just quotes. He cites in verse twenty, Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-one through twenty-two. It's just a verbatim citation, mm. and. He says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink.
0: For Mm -hmm. in
1: doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he essentially interprets the verse in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That word overcome is in the Greek meaning to conquer. Conquer evil (laughs) with good. And this really is just an extension of, of Romans 12:14 when he says bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse it is an emphasis on Romans 12:9 which I read earlier let love be without hypocrisy mm-hmm. by abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good So how does love conquer evil? yeah it doesn't conquer evil by becoming evil it conquers evil by staying love and exercising love yeah right? And that's really the the, the principle that we have to now take Mm -hmm. and apply in those three spheres of authority that you mentioned, in the family, in the church, and in the government. Yeah. And um, those three spheres have been designed by God, and there are different instances of delegated, legitimate delegated authority Mm -hmm. in each one of those spheres. Those spheres interact with each other, but they each have their own jurisdiction. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about how to conquer evil with love in all three of those spheres at this point. Do you want to just go straight into the government? Because that's yeah. how he flows
0: into it. We'll start with the government.
1: Yeah. So notice he says at the end of verse 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist have been appointed by God. So that's verse one of chapter 13. Mm-hmm. And when you take the, the chapter out of there and you just read it like a letter, yeah. you can see the flow, yeah. right? Paul is, is still talking about the church being scattered, the church leaving the walls and going out into their daily life and being the church. That is to say, uh, loving God and loving neighbor. And as they do that, as we attempt to be at peace with all men through loving them uh, rightly, by telling them the truth um, and, and, and so on and so forth, he is assuming that there's going to be people who abuse us. There's going to be people who persecute us. Mm -hmm. That's assumed in in the section we just read. So now he says every person, literally every soul in the Greek is to be in hupostasos, in subjection. That literally means underneath Mm -hmm. the um, ordering, under arrangement to the governing authorities. So when we go out, into the sphere of common grace, which is to say the public square.
0: Yeah.
1: Every person is, all, is is to subject themselves under King Jesus. Yeah. He is the king of the whole universe, right? Yes, there are different spheres of authority, but all of those spheres are under his authority. Yeah. Our framers got it right, one nation under God. Yeah. That's where they got it from, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. One nation under God. And so why is this relevant to those who are being persecuted? Because the temptation to execute your own vengeance is going to be there. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to fight evil with evil. But Paul is saying every soul is underneath the authority of God. And he's given human government Mm -hmm. as a means to restrain evil in society. Mm -hmm. That's how God restrains evil in society. Mm -hmm. That is one of the means through which he does it. He has literally, the the, the word that's placed here throughout uh, verses 1 through um, 5 The the Greek root word is tasso, which talks about this arrangement of, um, of, of authority in this context. And so he just uses the prefix hupo there for subjection. Every person is to understand their place in the sphere of authority that they happen to exist in at the time. When the church is scattered, yes, we're still the church, but guess what? God has placed civil government to restrain evil in society. The church is not to restrain evil with force. Mm -hmm. How do we restrain evil? Speaking the truth. Speaking the truth, right? (laughs) And sometimes that flares evil up.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So really, verse 1 needs to be taken in context, Mm -hmm. right? So often we start at chapter 13, verse 1, and we forget the whole context before that. Right. And that's important. That's very important. Chad, do you have anything to to, to add there?
0: Yeah, let's keep going on the government.
1: So verse 2, he says, Therefore... Whoever resists that authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of that authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Here's the key point. For it, meaning government, is a minister of God to you, Christian, For good. Mm -hmm. But if you, Christian, do what is evil, then be afraid. For it, the government, does not bear the sword in vain. For it is a minister of God. And here's the key word that connects us back. An avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Mm -hmm. So Christian, Paul is saying this. When you go out and you make every attempt to be at peace with other people through the means that we've talked about, at some point evil is going to be done to you. Don't worry. God has established an authority that is to handle the vengeance that God has promised to exercise. And that, 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 that authoritative institution is government. Mm-hmm. It just says governing authorities. It doesn't say actually kings or president or anything. We're gonna to get to that in a second. But it, it puts a very specific word there that um, Jesus actually uses when he delegates authority to his disciples on their first missionary trip to go out and cast demons out. Mm -hmm. He gave them that authority. It's the same word here, exousia in the Greek.
0: Mm.
1: Now the question for us in our day and time, because that's the theology there, right? We have something that God has ordained in the public sphere that's going to be the vehicle of his vengeance. Mm -hmm. So Christian, you don't have to do it. You don't have to take it. Don't Try to overcome evil with evil. Okay, that's the point, right? Mm -hmm. God is the ordained minister, or I'm sorry, the government is the ordained minister of God to do that. So let's apply it to the American context. Mm -hmm. What is the governing authority in this nation? It's the Constitution. Mm -hmm. It's not the president. It's not the legislative branch. It's not the judicial branch. Those three offices have been instituted by our founders and All three of those offices get their job description from this document called Mm -hmm. the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, um, that's very important to remember. But before I move on, I want to also say this. One observation that you have to take away from here is this. (laughs) Paul doesn't say that there is a superior form of government. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Paul doesn't say that the church is supposed to be the government. He doesn't say any of those things. He just says... Be in subjection to whatever the governing authority is. Yeah, he doesn't give you a God ordained type of government. Mm-hmm. So again, for us in the American context, I mean, I think we should really appreciate the type of government we have. Yeah, right. Yeah. Our founders understood this. They weren't all Christian, but they were overwhelmingly Christian. Yeah, right. So, so let that just be known and observed. That Paul is not advocating for a type of government, and he is not saying that the church should be should make its goal to become the government.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then again, we should remember that the governing authority in our nation is not a person, but a document. Mm-hmm. And the persons now who, fulfill, who are filling those offices, they have legitimate delegated authority by God, whether or not we like them, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Whether or not we care for them, yeah. whether or not we agree with their policies. Because notice when, when Paul wrote this, you know who's the emperor? It was Emperor Nero.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, it was before AD 64 when Paul wrote this. I think he wrote it in 54 or 57 AD. Let me just check my notes here. Oh, I didn't write it in this Bible. I think mm. it's 54 or 57 AD. But why that's relevant is because in 64 AD, the great persecution arose because of the, the fires in Rome mm-hmm. that were started by Nero. Yeah. And he blamed Christians for it. And so it's as if the Spirit of God is preparing the people of God Mm-hmm. particularly the Roman church, to undergo severe persecution. Yeah. And it's not like Nero was a good guy. He mm-hmm. wasn't a God-fearing man. Mm-mm. I mean, he was very mentally unstable even before those fires broke out. His uh, family members had him uh, instituted as the emperor, and then Nero ended up having them murdered. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's just a wicked man. Yeah. That's the person that Paul is saying, in their context, they need to be in subjection to. Mm-hmm. As, you know, along with the Roman Senate and things like that, although it may have gone out of existence by that time. I think it did because the emperor was there. But the point is, the guy who was in office was not a respectable guy, right? Right. But Paul doesn't even take that into account, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's also very important for us to remember. Chad, do you have anything to, to answer before we continue to move on? We're almost done with the government section.
0: No, I, th- I think you're good because what you're laying out for the government then applies to other governing authority.
1: Right. And so we see this as a, just a general model how the Christian is to um, understand their place in different spheres of legitimate delegated authority, right? Mm-hmm. Again, let me state this. In the sphere of the church, which is the sphere of special grace, these, these are God's children, the whole Bible tells us how we are to act there. And he's given us leadership structure, mm-hmm. elders, deacons, et cetera. Um, and so there's a there's a very clear structure of governance all underneath that lordship and headship of Christ. Yeah. Jesus is still Lord outside the walls of the church, but he's also, just like he provided a governance structure in the church, he's provided one outside the church, Mm -hmm. right? And they are the ones who have the legitimate um, um, authority to bear the sword. Look at verse 4 again. For government is a minister. That's the Greek word deacon, diakonos, Mm -hmm. servant. Mm -hmm. It's the table waiter of God, right? Doling out his vengeance, keeping law and order in a society. Um, And we're going to talk about that in one moment. But it's, it is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, church, then be afraid. For it doesn't bear the sword in vain, for it's the minister of God, and avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And verse 5, therefore, because that's true, it's necessary to be in subjection. Same word as in verse 1. Not only because of that wrath, mm-hmm. you don't want to experience that, mm-hmm. um, executed through the government, right? But also because of conscience. Yeah. Um, you know, you know that government has legitimate authority.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you don't want to violate your conscience right. by going against that. Right. And I think one thing that I know I need to repent of for sure, and I'm sure many of our listeners do, mm-hmm. is we also need to honor those who are in authority. Yeah. That's what we get from First uh, Peter chapter three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We need to honor those are, who are in authority. Actually, I think it's First Peter two seventeen. Um, what does that mean? Well, if you don't like the guy. Don't say anything. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Um, You you don't need to go, let's go, Brandon. Right? Yeah. I mean, we all know what that means, right? That is not honoring the individual who's in a legitimate office of authority. Yeah. Right? As ordained by our creator. That's right. Just keep your mouth shut.
0: Right? And pray, knowing that the Lord is the one who's put them there. And this brings in another theological point, but God is bringing about his plan. And sometimes he brings his plan about through evil means to evil men right and so the government we have is under the sovereignty of god the and god is working out his plan no, none of this is by accident right and so we should certainly pray for righteousness we should pray for for good leaders but we should pray for the leaders that are there that maybe they're not good
1: yeah first timothy chapter two first of all um then i exhort that petitions, prayers, requests, and thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we have a wicked ruler like Nero, right, mm-hmm. or whoever may be in office, we need to pray for their salvation,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Ultimately, yes, um, Paul is not advocating a, a ecclesiastical takeover of the government, mm-hmm. but if the dude becomes a Christian, yeah that's fine yeah <laughs> right yeah. He's getting in the right he's getting in the game then you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's nothing against that, right We are to evangelize our elected officials. Mm-hmm. we are to evangelize all people mm-hmm. right, but I want to go back to what you just said, mm-hmm. because when Paul says that the government is a minister to God, this has more points of application than I think most people like to remember mm-hmm. okay, yes, the government um if it, is, if it is being, let's say, inhabited by God-haters, right, um, God is still sovereign in that. That's right. And God has placed them there.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: have time to go through all of the Old Testament to mm-hmm. show you Isaiah 10, Isaiah 45, Cyrus, Isaiah mm-hmm. 10 as is king of Assyria, mm-hmm. Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. right? All of these wicked pagan kings that God used and put in office and then used to judge his wayward people mm-hmm. you see look if the people of god right if the external quote unquote people of god the visible church if they are involved in wickedness mm-hmm. if a nation is involved in sin mm-hmm. right it's only righteousness that exalts a nation mm-hmm. sin is a disgrace and god is not mocked whatever that nation whatever the people in that nation including the visible church are sowing
0: yeah they will reap. It's the Galatians 6 principle. Mm-hmm. Whatever we sow, you, you will reap.
1: So God can and does, it's very clear from Scripture, use wicked rulers to exact his judgment on a people and nation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So let's put it in the American context. We've been murdering babies for years now. Yeah. Millions. Millions of people are dead because of abortion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Millions. Mm-hmm. Okay? We, we have made justice a mockery in mm. the court system. Look at what they're doing to Donald Trump. I mean, mm. whether or not you're a fan of him or not, which really isn't the point, look at what they're doing, right? Mm. They, they should, if they wanna be just, they need to do this to every single elected official who has ever abused any type of power, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what we need, that's justice, right? Mm-hmm. This is partiality, what we're seeing, yeah. right? A two-tiered justice system, that's a mockery in God's sight. Look at our money. Our money is worth nothing, mm-hmm. right? Warren Buffett said years ago that in his lifetime, the dollar has depreciated 95%. Yeah, we, That's a mockery of, of truth and justice in God's sight. He hates dishonest scales, mm-hmm. right? Look mm-hmm. at the book of Proverbs. Yeah. I could go down the line. Mm-hmm. Americans, we are reaping what we have sown for generations. We right. talked about this on our last week's podcast in the sexual context, right? Mm-hmm. So... If you don't like the people who are in office right now, if you think they're God haters, God's still sovereign. Mm-hmm. That's the hard reality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, to balance out what I've just said, we also have been given a huge gift in this nation with our Constitution.
0: Yeah.
1: But again, we have said, oh, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't, I don't care, right? <laughs> okay, well, someone does care. And the people, unfortunately, who care also, by and large, don't love the God of the Bible. It seems, right? Of course, I don't know that, but that's just what it seems like Mm -hmm. based on the laws that are being enacted. Mm -hmm. So uh, we need to understand that, yes, government as an institution has been given legitimate authority from God, but it serves his sovereign purposes. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that is positive for the people of God or negative for the people of God, God is still sovereign. That's right, and so we should never going back to the first principle now, um, avenge ourselves when evil is done to us. Yeah, really, what we need to do is be the church, evangelize the lost, exalt Christ, and edify one another, Mm -hmm. and pray for individuals and the nation at large. Mm -hmm. This is what we need to do. And that's all I'm going to read for the government because those are the principles now Mm -hmm. that we can take and apply into different contexts. That's right. So I'd like to to switch over to now maybe the family.
0: Yeah. So just like with the government, God has created or set up a governing authority within the home, within the body, um, within the marriage. And so we know this from Ephesians chapter 5, but God has designed it that the, the husband would be the head, and the wife would submit as, as the church does to Christ. You can see this in um, Ephesians 5, verse 20, um, 22 through 31. I won't read it all, but you can see there very cl- clearly. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water with the word. Um, and so God has designed the family unit to have a governing authority mm-hmm. within itself, the husband being the 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 priest king of the home, if you will, mm-hmm. the one who is leading as unto the Lord and um, sanctifying the wife and the family. We can talk about children as well in Ephesians 6, but to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is to be the, the priest of the home, the, the pastor of the home. The prophet of the
1: home, yes. Yeah, yeah. Speak the word of God.
0: Speak the word of God and, and uphold the word of God in his home. Now, with that being said, we know that there are abuses of that authority, that there are uh, many husbands who have either abdicated that role in a, in a sluggard type of way or in a um, given way to the wife. We know because of the curses in Genesis 3, that the wife's going to keep trying to take the role of the husband and step into the leadership role mm-hmm. in a way that's that's not good. And that causes great division and strife, and, it, and it, sometimes it causes abuses, yeah. um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, things of that nature within it. So what do we do um, when those things are happening? Do we just turn the other cheek and say, Right. Okay, well, my husband's abusing me, so I guess I'm just going to sit here and take it. No, that part of God's grace is he has given the, the family, his children, those who love him, certain means by which to handle those things with love. Because remember, love is girded by the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is uh, that is sinful of a husband to do. -hmm. Uh, The truth is, it's sinful for the wife to try to take the authority of the husband.
1: Yeah, and love also doesn't allow sin to continue to uh, proliferate. I can't say that word, (laughs) proliferate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: for sure. And this is where there's a little bit of bleed over, right? Because for the family to function well, the family is meant to function within the context of the church, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the church helps function in these regards, meaning. If a wife is being abused by her husband, this is her protection. Is the Word of God and her elders, mm-hmm. those that are shepherding the flock, to to intervene, to step in, to um, rebuke the husband, to challenge the husband, to set up safe parameters. Maybe it would mean a, a time of separation physically um, to provide a place for the wife and the children to stay while the husband is repenting, if he's repentant, mm-hmm. and rebuilding trust and and operate in a way that's honoring to the Lord. Um, And then it bleeds in with the governing authorities Mm because if he refuses those things and won't listen to the church and he's put outside the church and is still threatening certain things, we we get the law involved, right? Yeah, to punish that which is evil. Punish that which is evil, of course. But all of that, the motivation of all of that is for the repentance of the husband and for the salvation of the husband. Mm -hmm. The God has also provided divorce. Now, we don't believe that divorce is God's design or best, but the two caveats in Scripture that, that Christ gives because of the wickedness of men is for adultery or for abandonment, which physical abuse would be under that category. Mm-hmm. And so church discipline comes into play, right? So how does that play out? Well, the elders in the church come in with the church discipline in Matthew 18, we're going to them, we're rebuking them. If they refuse to repent, we take two more. If they refuse, we bring it to the church. If they refuse then, we treat them as an unbeliever. Which then brings it into 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul, speaking to husbands and wives, is talking about what do you do if you're living with an unbeliever? Well, if they consent to live um, with you as an unbeliever, this starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 7, says... Uh, To the rest that I say, I not the Lord, that if if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Mm. What are the principles here? Well, the main point here is that God has called you to peace. Mm-hmm. Consenting to live is under the the guise of a peaceful home. Uh, if your spouse is an unbeliever, proven to be an unbeliever, but they're willing to live in a way that's peaceable. Mm-hmm you're not in danger, they're not harming you in any sort of way, then you should stay and you should follow the First Peter uh, principle in First Peter 3 that a wife who would have an unbelieving husband would win him over by her her conduct and her, mm-hmm. her prayers, right? Mm-hmm. Or a husband would live with his wife in an understanding way so his prayers would not be hindered, mm-hmm. right? Because the purpose there is the gospel. Yeah. But if they're unwilling to live peaceably, meaning they abandon through just leaving altogether, you're free to let them go, or this is where abuse comes in. This is where you have to use theological processes, mm-hmm. right? As you see, we're bringing different the- theologies in here. They may be willing to prep to be physically there, but someone who is abusing and causing harm and evil is not one who is consenting to live in mm-hmm. a peaceful way. Mm-hmm. In that regard, the spouse who's being abused also has freedom to let them go because you don't know if you can lead them to Christ or not. Yeah. But this is a long process. Mm-hmm. And you see how the cat the, the way God has structured everything is there for protection. If you're in a church that has biblical elders and who practice church discipline, which you should be if you're not, then you have a protection there. You have a church family that can help walk that through with you to help maybe even provide a place to stay for a while or to keep you safe or to mm-hmm. help you navigate those issues if the police need to be involved, if it's to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And, and all the way, helping you to even rebuke that abusive spouse in hopes that they would repent. And this is not usually in the the scenario that I'm painting, which is an ext- the more extreme scenario, of course. This is not a this is going to take a couple of days and we got us all figured out. This is walking yeah. through, this may take a year, two years, three years. It may take a long time to restore this marriage in a God honoring way, mm-hmm. but that you would have the governing authorities to help walk through that yeah. with you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's very good. And I want to, I want to go back to the government example, cause this will help um, lead us into that conversation of, okay, well, if we're taking um, what is good and what mm-hmm. is evil as being defined by um, what some people call the natural law of God, mm-hmm. as expressed in the Ten Commandments, yeah. the first table and the second table of God's law, um, well, then what part of what parts of those two tables are is each sphere responsible for? Yeah. Right. And so I would put this forward. Um, I would put this forward, and I think that um, I think that you'll see why in just a moment. The first table of the law, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 15, um, all has to do with the vertical relationship between man and God, right? Um, you shall uh, have no other gods before me, commandment number one. Number two, you shall not make an idol for yourself. Commandment number three, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Commandment number four, observe the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? Yeah. Those all have to do with your relationship directly to God, right? Mm. Now, the government... Um, if you're a Baptist, <laughs> if you're a Presbyterian that holds the old school Westminster Confession, you may disagree with this, but the government really shouldn't be enforcing that table of the law, right? Um, it's not the civil magistrate's place to enforce the worship of its subjects and uh, their worship to God, yeah. right? That's, that's the conviction of, of uh, myself and, and many other people based mm-hmm. on how we see the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I know not everybody believes that. And certainly, if you study um, two thousand years of church history, the church has gone on you know to both sides of the spectrum on that. There are people who believe the state should enforce that. There are other individuals in the church who don't believe that yeah um, and the only reason i 'm bringing this tangent up is to let you know that it is an issue that has been thought through, and both sides of the spectrum have been put in force by legitimate Christians. right. Yeah. But I would I would strongly argue against that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would strongly argue against that the civil magistrate, the government, the governing authorities, should enforce a state religion. Um, so the reason why is that, what if that person's not a Christian? What if that person's a Hindu? What if the person's an Islamic, right? Yeah. Now... <laughs> the state religion is going to be Islam. The state religion is going to be Hinduism. The state religion is going to be whatever, right? Yeah. So I think it breaks down under mm-hmm. the weight of Scripture. Um, I think that uh, Scripture teaches that the sphere of authority that is to enforce that is the church. Mm-hmm. How do we enforce that? Through love. Yeah. That's how we enforce one's worship to God. We preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. The church has been mandated with the gospel right. to go out and make disciples of yeah. many nations. So as it pertains to the, the natural law of God, the first table is under the sphere of the authority of the church. Um, that's, my, that's, where mm-hmm. that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to hold it. Yeah, yeah, Now, commandment number five on the second table, honor your father and your mother. That's not the government's job. That's not the church's job to make sure that everyone's kids are honoring their father and their mother, per se, mm-hmm. that's primarily the family's job. Right.
0: Primarily <laughs> right? the husband's job.
1: Right. Now, again, like you said, and like we stated, the different spheres are going to have some overlap. They're going to play into that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the government should never get involved in making sure kids are honoring their father and their mother. Yeah. I don't believe they should. I believe that yeah. God's given that to the church, but primarily to the family. Mm-hmm. How does the church involve? Pastors, you need to be teaching that. Yeah. You need to be preaching that. Yeah. <laughs> right?
0: equipping equipping the the fathers and mothers on how to how to have family worship and to teach those disciplines to yeah. their children.
1: But ultimately that's given to the sphere of authority in the family. Yeah. Okay, then on the second table you have commands 6 through 10. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, or covet.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: shall not do any of those things. Yeah. That's where civil government's going to find its resting place. That's right. That's where you should be legislating. You should be legislating According to mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Uh, laws against murder and other forms of physical harm, right? Yeah. Uh, laws against committing adultery, right? Divorce, right, would be an example of mm-hmm. of laws uh, governing that. Stealing, obviously, property mm-hmm. laws, etc. Mm-hmm. You go down the list. Now, how is coveting coveting's a part of that stealing and committing uh, adultery and, and murder mm-hmm. and all these things? Coveting's the heart behind that. So you can legislate according according to those things. Yeah, um, but I, but I hope that that points it out to you guys that the, the natural law of God as expressed in the Ten Commandments really is divided up into three spheres of authority. Mm-hmm. The church governs, um, has been tasked with the gospel presentation, and that governs one's relationship to God. Mm-hmm. Then you have the family, and then you have civil government. Yeah. The the cohesive principle there is we are to understand our place in mm-hmm. each sphere of authority, where we fall in line, and to make sure that we don't step outside of our yeah. sphere of jurisdiction. Yeah. In the case we talked about earlier, we don't avenge ourselves, right? Right, right. That's just because if we do, we're stepping outside of our sphere of authority. Yeah. That's God's place. It's yeah. not our place.
0: That's right. And what God has set up is, once again, love. We're trying to push towards obeying and honoring the Lord, honoring Christ. I think a, a good thought in your head to say, okay, what do I do in these harder situations is love also doesn't enable sin. Mm-hmm. So, if someone sexually abuses a child and and you find out about it, then you should tell the police yes. and and get authority involved because we don't enable sin. The goal is to see uh repentance and reconciliation down the line, and reconciliation doesn't always mean that person gets to have a relationship with the one they've abused, yeah but um that's for a whole other podcast, but just to play that thought out. Yeah. Um, and so with a, a drug-addicted uh, family member, you don't enable sin. Mm-hmm. Um, you you set a path that they could repent and be restored, but you don't enable sin. Mm-hmm. With a spouse who's abusive, we don't enable sin. And I want to say one quick thing about abuse because that gets thrown around too easily. Here's the definition for you. If someone is using their power to lord over and suppress someone else, that is abuse. In every relationship, there's sin. They're sinning against one another. Mm-hmm. So, just because your husband or your wife yells at you, it doesn't mean they're being abusive, <laughs> right? There's a difference between that and someone physically or or lording over in a way that is that is um, uh, evil against like the if Lord. If they're
1: consistently yelling at you, constantly shouting,
0: well, if they're threatening, Threat. or if they're, or if they're. Um, demeaning you or they're Mm. manipulating you like there's a
1: it's hard not to shout it's hard to be shouting and not do any of those things yeah
0: and once again this is where the spheres of which the Lord has set up the scriptures yeah elders there's people that you can talk to that can help you decipher through what's going on and and how to how to navigate those things some things are black and white someone hits you physically Mm -hmm. um, rapes or steals or you know there's there's things that are obvious that you go to the authorities with mm-hmm. but in those things that sometimes are a little bit more difficult to navigate that's that's why God has set up the the institutions of the church and the family and the government mm-hmm. when operating properly brings about his justice yeah but it's God bringing about justice not you
1: and that's that's the main point of today yeah that's the main point of today we never want to avenge ourselves um, and, and in order to do that rightly, we need to understand how God has set up his authority in creation
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and where we are to know our place in that authority. Um, that's a legitimate place that, mm-hmm. that God himself has set up. And so we hope that this has uh, provided some structure and mm-hmm. how to think through some very difficult issues. Yeah. Um, uh, we hope that this has uh, you some, some guidance and, um, I want to finish off with, uh. Verses 8 through 10 in chapter 13 in Romans. But before I do, Chad, did you want to say anything before we sign off?
0: No, I think uh, we've given the people enough to chew on.
1: (laughs) Romans 13, starting in verse 8, says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Mm -hmm. Well, be blessed and we will talk to you soon. Bye.